0: Inspired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 183 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show we'll be discussing the new Star Wars movie The Force Awakens, and this will involve spoilers for everything in the movie, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by four guests. So, first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and also the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He's also edited many other anthologies, including the recent books Wastelands 2, Operation Arcana, and The End Has Come. He's also now the editor of John Joseph Adams Books, a new imprint of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. So, John, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here. Then next up, we've got Matt London, making his 14th appearance on the show. He's the author of the eco-adventure sci-fi novels The Eighth Continent, Welcome to the Jungle, and Born to be Wild. And he's also the game master of our local New York-area Star Wars pen-and-paper RPG group. So, Matt, welcome to the show.
2: It's very good to be here.
1: And also joining us today is Rajan Khanna, making his 5th appearance on the show. His first novel, Falling Sky, a post-apocalyptic adventure with airships, was released in 2014 from Pirate Books, and a sequel, Rising Tide, is out now. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Lightspeed, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and Shimmer, and his articles have appeared on Tor.com and LitReactor.com. He also plays a failed Jedi in our local Star Wars RPG group. So Raj, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back. And finally, we've got Jordan Hammersley-London, who you may remember from our panel on horror publishing back in episode 58. She's an editorial director at Adaptive Books, and has also been an editor at Grosset and & Dunlap and Egmont, USA, where she worked with authors such as Ilsa Bick, Adam Troy Castro, and Ben H. Winters. She also plays a Twi'lek fighter in our local Star Wars RPG group. So, Jordan, welcome to the show. Howdy. Okay, so first of all, let's just go around and have each person give a one or two, one to two sentence overall reaction to the movie. So, John, what was your overall reaction to the movie?
3: Uh, my overall reaction was that I loved it. Um, I uh, I was... You know, emotional through a good part of it, just from, uh, you know, seeing Star Wars that I enjoyed again and uh, uh, also, um, you know, just uh, joy at uh, various character moments and everything that happened throughout the movie. But, uh, you know, sure, I have some things that I didn't like about it. But uh, overall, my my general uh, overview was that I I loved it a lot.
1: How about Jordan?
0: Oh, I, I had a great time. It was so fun to be back in that world I got very emotional at certain points and I think Ray is fantastic. She is everything I imagined a female Jedi to be when I was running around a forest (laughs) when I was nine.
1: Uh, And how about Raj? Yeah. um,
4: I agree. I I agree mostly with John in that I I had some issues with it, but generally I thought it was an extremely fun movie and the things that I loved about it, I loved so much and one of those things is Ray, just like Jordan just said. So, mm-hmm.
1: And Matt? Uh,
2: I was traumatized, and I don't think I'll ever recover.
1: <laughs> so, Okay, say a bit more about that.
2: Um, well, I mean, I can s- s- strike off the conversation right now, but I think that in some ways, um, my issues are more stuff that we would want to talk about later on. I-, I think that, I mean, we can just dig into the deep spoilers of it. But I think, and I assume this is fairly controversial in terms of people's enjoyment of the movie. I should say upfront that I enjoyed the movie a lot, start to finish. Um, I loved it. It reminded me of what it felt like I was watching star Wars again for the first time. Um, an experience that you don't get to have very often. But at the same time, I feel like this movie did something to the original trilogy that can never be undone. And I think it changes the original trilogy in a way that the prequels and the expanded universe, as complex and controversial as they are in some ways, never did. Um, I think that... I mean, well, the primary thing is that um, the original trilogy is one story. It is the tale of... Luke's coming of age and his quest to redeem his father, Darth Vader. Um, And at the end of those movies, Luke redeems his father, Han and Leia fall in love, and they live happily ever after. And in many ways, this new movie says, yeah, that's all well and good. And then after that, everything gets completely screwed up from which there's no redemption.
1: That's interesting, Matt, because, I just absolutely hated this movie, and I feel like I'm the only like everyone I else I know just seems to love it. And I just I hated it so much. When you say you're traumatized, like I've literally been lying on my bed staring at the blank wall for the last two days ever since I saw the movie, just trying to summon the strength to go on with my life. So, uh, and
2: so okay, so let's talk about that. Why, why why are you so traumatized by it? Or like let's go down. Give us three reasons why you hated it.
1: I mean, the, the main thing is that the number one thing that I hate in movies, like my, the number one thing that I just absolutely can't stand, is when a movie draws attention to the fact that you're watching a movie, particularly for purposes of humor. Um, when it kind of winks at the audience and breaks the fourth wall in a, in a serious drama that I'm trying to get into and enjoy and believe that it's real. Because uh, then when I, when, if, if I don't believe that any of this is really happening, then why should I care about anything? And I felt that this movie was, it was just like one giant wink at the audience. It was it was basically like a collection of, I felt like I was sitting, like J.J. Abrams was sitting next to me in the theater, elbowing me in the ribs every five minutes, probably even more often than that, going, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this from Star Wars? Wasn't that awesome? And th- th- it's just like, uh, it just didn't feel, nothing in the movie felt real to me because everything was played for laughs. Everything was like a joke somehow or a wink or a reference and it didn't feel like a real story to me at all it just felt one, like one long it all, what it really reminded me of was like Terminator 3 where it wasn't it's not a, like a terrible movie but it's just like recycling stuff you've seen before that was done better before and making jokes about it basically um and so totally I thought I was really hoping this would be another Empire Strikes Back that it would be made for the people who loved Star Wars as a kid and are now adults And, like, kids could enjoy it, too, but adults could enjoy it. And I just felt like it wasn't an adult movie, and the tone was more like Men in Black or uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or something than Empire Strikes Back.
2: I can tell you exactly who the movie's for. The movie is for a juvenile adult, somebody who's loved Star Wars their whole life, and is now a grown-up, hates the prequels, and wants a Star Wars that's just for them. (laughs) <laughs> and it panders to that audience from start to finish. The the moment that really resonated with me the most is a little bit before the midpoint, I guess, when Ray and Finn are sort of connecting on the Falcon for the first time. And they're going, Han Solo, the rebel general? No, I mean Han Solo, the badass hun- uh- uh, smuggler. And it's like, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was just a legend, but oh man, he was the coolest guy that maybe doesn't exist in the whole galaxy. And it's like... These are 20-something fans of Star Wars, cast as the stars of Star Wars. It's the most Mary Sue experience of that universe that I've ever seen. And that's including many, many fan films that I have seen. Um, it, it removes the elements of the story that appealed to that child audience that Lucas cared so much about you know, back in the 80s and leading through the special editions and the prequels. It abandons that group entirely and instead focuses on this very specific movie ticket buying audience of like the lifelong Star Wars fan. Um And I detected that immediately because I'm straight up perfectly bullseyed in that demographic. And yet I found that aspect of the film um very frustrating because it, there was this disconnect between me wanting to see new heroes in this galaxy and feeling like they were casting me and my friends in those roles in a way that I really didn't like.
0: I think that it's an overall issue with the way that genre films and particularly franchises are being created these days is that everyone goes in looking for an Easter egg or a a hint at what's to come or reminding you of something that happened. And if you're smart, you'll see Finn, pull out Luke's little force ball when he's digging through the Falcon or turn on the chess thing and and you're supposed to feel good like, oh, I caught that. I'm smart. I know that. But it's happening across all of these major franchises. You look at all of the Marvel stuff, the DC stuff. I remember the first time I watched Iron Man and Samuel L. Jackson showed up. I was like, I read Ultimates. I know what this is about. I feel so cool and a part of something. And so I think that that idea of what modern movies are to the genre fan base is permeated every franchise.
1: I mean, Raj or John, what do you do? You want to defend this movie?
4: Well, I mean, I I personally I agree with you that I don't generally like that kind of silly take on on movies that I love, especially. But but my like I found this more the the humor appealed to me way more than the humor or the whole aesthetic of return of the jedi even which is one of the original trilogy but like i felt like that was so much more skewed toward kids um in a bad way and yeah i mean i appreciated that it was funny because i found the i think again they benefit from being compared to the prequels but i found the prequels so unfunny and so painful in some ways that you know it was kind of like a welcome uh, relief, but I I agree that there were moments that were a little too um, pandering, I guess, which is the word that Matt said. Um You know, and I I'm smart enough to know that that's happening, but I'm also dumb enough to appreciate it and the points <laughs> that it does. You know, when when like uh, what Jordan just talked about, when Finn pulls out the remote. You know, like, I, I'm, I had my, uh, hand on my girlfriend's knee and I kept squeezing it, you know, like, first time we see the Millennium Falcon, you know, when we see these little things and she probably was like, he has a weird cramp or something because <laughs> she doesn't know the movies that well. But like, you know, every time I'd be like, oh, or like, you know, even though it wasn't Tatooine, like some of us thought, um, you know, the fact that they were recognizable moisture farm evaporators, um, you know, like I, I got a kick out of stuff like that. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm like Matt and that I'm, I'm kind of torn about the whole thing, but I'd rather that than I guess, you know, I feel like that was their way of saying, look, this is the same world that you know and love and look, we're going to show you these reference points that you're like, yes, this is the same ship. And this is the place where Luke trained. And, you know, if you're not as obsessive as me and watch the, the original trilogy, like, you know, once or twice a year, maybe you've forgotten about some of these points. Um But yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I went in with high expectations, but I I ended up feeling okay about all the humor and, and that kind of, that kind of take.
1: Well, I totally agree with you that this benefits from being compared to the prequels. And I I can't imagine that this movie would have gotten 95% on Rotten Tomatoes if the prequels had never happened. (laughs) But I think like after the prequels, people are like, oh, my God, this movie has actual entertainment value. And it seems like a revelation to them. But like what you were saying about eagerness to please, I was talking about this with my girlfriend, because I think that for me, the prequels are like cat movies. They're like completely indifferent to whether or not you enjoy them or not. <laughs> and, and as a result, you don't enjoy them at all. And then this is like an annoying puppy movie where every, sing, every th- single thing in it is just like, love me, love me, love me, love me. And, and that's equally off-putting to me, whereas I feel like, you know, uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back are kind of a good balance of the director has a vision, but it's still providing entertainment value whereas this i thought was like 100% po- focused on pleasing the audience and had no artistic uh, vision whatsoever.
3: Yeah, you know, i mean, uh it obviously it's obviously a JJ J. Abrams movie and does all of the things that JJ J. Abrams movies does,
0: including uh, Greg Grunberg. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> uh, including anyway,
4: random red stuff like C-3PO's arm.
0: Yeah, right.
3: Like why well, was his arm red? But um yeah, you know, it's like uh i don't know. I mean, uh i obviously like, you know, i I'm really serious about science fiction and I take all this stuff very seriously, but, um, you know, I don't know. I just had, I, I just had fun with it. I, I enjoyed Star Wars for the first time in a long time. Uh, whereas, you know, after the prequels, I, I, I wasn't sure that I ever would again. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it redoes, it, it's like retreads a lot of stuff from the original trilogy. And it, uh, you know, like you say, it has a lot of these winky things in there and everything. But, um, I don't know. It didn't bother me for whatever reason. I just, I just really, Like, J.J. Abrams ran with it, and I went along for the ride, and, um, I mean, I think it's because I just, I really enjoyed all the characters, and it's like, it's kind of the same thing that he did with the Star Trek reboot, where, um, like, I didn't really like the plot, per se, and and the scientific stuff was, like, ridiculous and everything, but I still enjoyed the first one because, like, I really liked what they did with the characters, um, and I felt like he was kind of doing a similar thing here, where, um, I mean, it's not re... Re, he's not like reintroducing the same characters, but you know, we have new ones, uh, but I, I feel like it's kind of a similar situation. Um, and I, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's like such a hard thing to pull off, I think, to expect people to fall in love with like these brand new characters when they're in the shadow of these like legendary characters that we have in our minds that we grew up with. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I just thought that they were, Really terrific, and so I mean I think that's really what carried it through for me, despite uh, all of its various failings. I mean, which I think it has plenty of failings, um, even aside from what Dave was saying. Like I, I mean, obviously, there, I don't. There's no redeeming it to Dave, but um, you know, uh, I, I think it does have significant problems. But I was willing to overlook them because I had so much fun watching the rest of it.
4: I think we sh- we should also keep in mind that that he is relaunching not just. One movie or three movies, but a franchise, and I think this was definitely a very calculated move of hey look we 're going to give you the stuff that that you 're comfortable with and that you expect from this franchise to ground you, and then from here it's going to go all over the place at this point in time. you know, like I almost feel like you know it, it was very safe in many ways in that they're like, okay look you're used to." You know, X-Wing's going down a trench at the end to blow something up. Like, like, we're going to give you that. We're going to give you all the like high points of what made Star Wars great. But I, I, I would hope at least that from here, it's going to stretch a bit more and that we're going to actually really get some deep, deep digging into, you know, what's going on here. Because this one, you know, there's hints of stuff going on, but they, they stick to the safe places.
1: Well, I just want to agree. I agree with John with you about I think that they cast immensely appealing actors. I don't think the characters as written are particularly interesting characters at all, but they just cast Mm -hmm. really, really you know um, actors with really, really great appealing personalities that brought a lot, I thought, to those characters. Mm -hmm. But just like to highlight for me the weakness of the writing of the characters is the Finn character is supposedly has been raised from birth to be a stormtrooper. And I don't I don't see any of that in him whatsoever. He never he doesn't seem like someone who's raised from birth to, you know, be he just had a number and had no family and was part of this killer organization. He just seems like this like likable dude who's just hanging out.
2: He's the most he's the most Mary Sue character in the entire movie. I mean, he's he's meant to be the the avatar for the audience um, in a way that the others aren't. You know, I was able to um, and this actually I was thinking about this a lot as I was watching the movie. Um, and I think this is actually something that you said to me once, Dave, that, um, one of the big failings of the prequels is that there's no way to describe any of the characters in the prequels, that they literally have no personalities beyond their jobs. Oh, Obi-Wan, he's a Jedi. Padme, she's a senator or a queen or something.
1: <laughs> Both. And what,
2: what is she like? Uh, she's a senator? I don't know, right? Whereas here, like in the originals, you can target a lot of these characters and describe them. You know, Ray is resourceful and selfless and compassionate. And, uh, Kylo Ren is furious and insecure in a complex way. Um, but really it falls apart when, um, you get to Finn. I felt like his behavior and dialogue really did contradict the established sort of like backstory for his character. I'm totally with you on that.
0: Yeah, specifically you got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend. <laughs>
2: right. I, That's such a fanboy question. Yeah. Um that just seems so out of place in a Star Wars movie.
0: Not even that. I laughed. I thought it was funny. Yeah. I liked his delivery of it in the moment, but if he is truly a stormtrooper who has been trained since birth to do one thing, why would that question even be in his vocabulary
4: right but can we i mean like so obviously the the title of the movie is the force awakens and the most obvious manifestation of that is what happens with ray right like suddenly she's able to access this stuff i mean I, i i know it's it's probably reading a little bit much into it at this point in time but i would be willing i mean maybe they could show that that finn's awakening was due to a very similar thing that happened. And I don't know, because honestly, there's not much in this movie that comes from that title, The Force Awakens, except for, you know, we see Rey demonstrating abilities. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just me rationalizing it's not something.
1: Super that's just like something that drives me crazy. Ever since I was a kid, is if you ever point out a flaw in any Star Wars movie or anything, people are like, no, it's The Force. It's so like why is the dialogue clunky? It's the force. You know, like any like why are the characters one-dimensional? No, it's sure because spooky. of the force. I think
0: you can blame the bad Dave, dialogue on the force. Who
1: has ever said that? I, I can that doesn't
0: make
2: any sense at all.
1: No, Matt, I go on the internet, all right, and post anything <laughs> Go
2: for the internet. of Star Wars. Know, wait a second. You can find anything on the internet. Like I could find a fan theory that sheep are the cause of all the problems in the galaxy. Like come on.
1: I'm just saying, I think that, like, the, It's Because of the Force is massively overutilized as an apologetic tactic mm-hmm. by Star Wars defenders.
3: At least this movie didn't blame anything on midichlorians. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, well, that I, I but, wasn't going to use the M-word. Wasn't it shocking
2: that it was, like, the prequels never existed? Yeah. They really did just completely demolish the existence of that whole part <laughs> of... Half, half of the genre... Half half of the universe just was completely ignored.
4: Yeah, they didn't we didn't see any aliens, right? From from those movies or any like droids or anything like that, right? right?
2: I did I didn't. Although it's possible that in one sequence there's something in the background. I don't want to yeah, say that. Yeah,
4: I the mean
3: there's a lot points. of aliens throughout the movie, yeah. it's possible one of them snuck in there somewhere, but Uh so you know, um about the uh about the prequels, uh one thing I thought was interesting, I saw uh, somebody wrote an article that was sort of um Uh, supposing that, uh, the first line of the movie is, is something like, uh, Max Ben Saito's character, uh, when he's handing the map, uh, thing over to, to Poe Dameron, he's, he's basically saying, like, this will start to make things right, and it's like, it's almost like that's J.J. Abrams and, and the crew, like, sort of talking to the audience, like, hey, like, sorry for those prequels, like, sorry that happened, like, maybe this can start to, you know, make you believe in Star Wars again, um. Which I mean, that's it's kind of like how I felt about the movie. It's like it, it was it was a way to sort of ease us back into Star Wars to allow us to revel in the things that we actually enjoyed about it previously. Before you know, the prequels had taken the joy away from us. Um, and and then hopefully, like I think Raj was saying earlier, it's uh, you know in in the future installments we can get more um, complex stories that um, you know are sort of more uh, more along the lines of like sort of Empire Strikes Back or whatever. Like Dave was saying
0: well we're going to get that with ray on this unknown planet with luke she's it's clearly just going to be a, a yoda luke parallel right. for the next movie
4: but also keep in mind abrams isn't directing the next two i mean we're we're getting the looper guy you know who who you know i think this was again like carefully crafted and this was not just abrams but disney saying look we are kicking off this franchise we spent a lot of money on it and we're going to make it into right now it's what it's the best selling movie ever at this point now yeah Yeah.
2: it you know well best opening weekend of all time okay and and they'll make their they i believe that on this movie alone they'll make back the money they spent buying lucasfilm and there will be another movie first every two years then every year until the end of time um it's it's gonna just keep on going and this was a concern that I had from the very beginning when this when the deal first happened, when Disney bought Lucasfilm and the rights to I'm Star Wars. changing the
4: deal, pray <laughs> I don't alter do it further.
2: Greenlit episode seven, shut down LucasArts forever, and started the current kind of trajectory of the franchise. I said it's just gonna be another property now. It's just gonna be another marvel
4: or fast and the furious but matt don't you i mean as somebody who i've played games with in star wars i i've always felt that the world is so is so vast you can tell so many different stories that why wouldn't they do why wouldn't they have a tv show why wouldn't they have a cartoon i'm not
2: saying that they shouldn't it's totally enjoyable i've you know when i was a kid i read gazillion of these books about the adventures of rogue squadron and the last command and Dark Empire, and Kip Duren. You know, like, I devoured this stuff as a kid. In fact, I credit the Star Wars Expanded Universe with getting me into serious science fiction. Those were the sci-fi books that I read way before I got into Heinlein and Asimov and Le Guin. Um, It was Star Wars that hooked me on this. I would not be sitting on this podcast right now if not for Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston and Timothy Zahn, uh, Vonda McIntyre. Those were the books that that really sucked me into sci-fi as a whole. And they're all Star Wars Expanded Universe. One of the things that upset me so much about the deal was that the EU became Star Wars quote-unquote legends. That it was like, nope, we're going to abandon 25 years of continuity. It's all out the window. Everything you've ever loved is dead and gone. It never existed. And now we're going to give you something new. Um, and that, so not only was that traumatic to me as a, uh, a consumer of entertainment, um, but it, I think, took away some of the charm of the stories that I had read when I was a kid. Um, I, I think that in some ways, uh, the, the deal as it existed with Disney, um, did a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is it allowed us to take this rich mythos and push it out even further to all aspects of our culture. Yes, there's going to be a million more movies. There's going to be this Rogue Squadron movie. There's going to be a young Han Solo movie. There's going to be a young Boba Fett movie. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch more movies that take place in between episode six and episode seven. Eventually, they're going to go back and redo the prequels in some way. They're going to go 40,000 years ago to the Tales of the Jedi era, and they're going to do stories there too. They're going to mine this for all that it's worth. Uh, There was an article recently that said, you will never see the last Star Wars film. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, you will die before they are done making Star Wars movies. And in some ways, that's great because I love Star Wars. I could feast on Star Wars for the rest of my life, and I probably will. But on another level there was always something that separated Star Wars from the rest of popular sci-fi entertainment. The TV shows and comic books and movies that just went on and on and on. These video game reboots that they do constantly, right? Final Fantasy 15 is currently in development. The fourth or fifth or sixth version of Final Fantasy 7 is in development right now, right? The thing that separated Star Wars from all of those was that it was complete. It was these three movies. They started with episode four, which was weird, but they told literally the modern myth.
4: Yeah, but you... Sorry, I I interrupted you. I mean, I'm older than you. When I was a kid, the, the legend was there were nine movies, and the first three, obviously, eventually saw light, and most people who loved Star Wars did not love those movies. But, like, you know... Seven, eight, and nine were were still rumored to be like in the Lucas like, you know, outline book or whatever. And so, I told my girlfriend for this one, I was like, I've been waiting more than 30 years to see this movie. I mean, m- might not have been the one that Lucas was going to tell, but, you know, in a way. And I feel like that. So, so three were, I mean, they were never really, at least in my perspective, it was never really complete. And in a way, Lucas at one point said, I will never make these movies. And I felt like, holy crap, you know, this is, this is something that I've been wanting my whole life that I will never get to have. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I get your point. I don't have a problem with it at all. And I think that, like, I, you know the EU for example there were a billion stories you know the the role playing game the video games the comics the the novels and people were willing to buy that and and snap that up and i mean you can make the the distinction that it was canon and not canon or whatever but I don't see the, I mean, people can still say, you know, the original trilogy was Lucas's original vision. Um, You know, this is like the new expanded universe, if you want to look at it that way, because Abrams has the the keys now. But um,
1: I think the difference though, Raj, is that what I think what upset me so much about this movie is like, yeah, like John said, he basically did the same thing with this that he did with Star Trek 2009. But that was like more of like it was a reboot. It was like a completely new thing in a way. And so I didn't mind the tonal shift so much. Whereas this is a continuation of the story that we are already were invested in so much with the characters we already knew, so the tonal shift of this bothered me a lot more. And I think it won't bother me so much if they make a, you know, Rogue One or whatever else right. they do in the future.
2: I think that if they th- this this movie is a remake of Episode Four. Period. <laughs> yeah, it is. And the problem was that I I'm sure that somebody in the Disney you know think tank said we should just do a remake of Episode Four. And somebody, a smart person, said to them, You're crazy. The fans would riot if we tried to remake the original Star Wars. They'd go crazy. They'd call BS. And so they didn't. But they did the next best thing, which is to get away with making a remake without pissing off all the fans. They were able to twist just a few details, make... Uh Make Princess Leia a very attractive starfighter pilot man. Make R2-D2 spherical instead of cylindrical.
0: Make the Death Star a giant planet.
2: Make, make yeah, make the Death Star a, a planet-destroying planet instead of a planet-destroying space station. And you've got episode four. It literally is a remake, but they got away with it because they changed just enough things.
4: Okay, while we're talking about tonal shifts, though, one, one thing I did have a problem with, and I don't know if anyone else, I, I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, one reason it didn't feel quite like the Star Wars I grew up with was that even though they use practical effects in a lot of the places, it felt really... Shiny and colorful in a way that those movies never felt to me. And I, that, that to me is part of the feel of Star Wars is that gritty, you know, you can touch it, you can feel it, you know, everything's a little dirty and, 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 and I didn't feel that so much in this, except for the scenes on Jakku, uh, which were my favorite. Like the Ray on Jakku is probably my favorite part of that whole entire movie. Like I, I could watch that forever. Um, but. I I felt like you know when when Han takes him to that one place that's supposed to be like the cantina like it just felt I I recently rewatched uh episode 2 I was supposed to watch episode 2 and 3 but I got through episode 2 and I thought I cannot bear to watch <laughs> 3 uh this was so bad but like everything in episode 2 is bright and CGI and nothing feels like it has weight and it just felt like a parody film of Star Wars you know like the the non-porn porn version of <laughs> Star Wars um but I felt like this had that same problem in certain places where it it did not feel like it didn't have the texture of the Star Wars I knew and I I, I maybe that's just me maybe that's something I I uh, you know connected with on some level but
1: no I told or, it 'cause 'cause because it drove because because in the pre like pre publicity they they made a big deal about how they were doing practical effects we're gonna film in a desert instead of on blue screen. But then they had, like, three big CGI things in this movie that I thought were disastrously unsuccessful. The, like, stupid tentacle monsters on Han Solo's yeah. Shit. yeah. The, that um, whole
0: sequence could have disappeared. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's not even mentioned in the Wikipedia plot summary because it, it serves no purpose in the plot. But, yeah, and then the stupid, like... It's like the Oracle from The Matrix, except she's, like, an alien with steampunk goggles. Oh. <laughs> and then the, like, Voldemort guy on his throne. Yeah, no, All yeah. those things, I just... They could not have been worse looking, in my opinion. Right, right,
3: right. You know, I agree. I, I was going to say... Uh... I didn't have the same problem that Raj is talking about per se, except for those, those particular aliens. And also the, um, the, the, the ration trader alien guy, the one that had stolen the Millennium Falcon. That's actually, actually right, played right. by Simon Pegg, strangely enough. You would never know it. It doesn't sound like, or seem like a Simon Pegg at all. But, uh, but I, I didn't really like the alien, the, the creature design on that, or on Snoke, um, or, those stupid technical monsters on, on the Millennium Falcon. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I I totally agree on that part. I mean, those are sort of some of my bigger issues with the movie. I mean, um, you know, uh, otherwise I would say it's like, well, it certainly has plot problems, but you know, it's like, it's Star Wars and none of the, none of the plots really all make all that much sense in Star Wars. So, um, you know, I, I I don't criticize that part too much, but yeah, I, I, I wish that I liked all of the, all of the creature design a little bit more like, and, and especially like Snoke is like kind of an important one. And, um, and, and I just didn't like him at all. And it's like, what, come on, Andy circus. Really? Does he have to be every CG person? <laughs> like, Also, just... he
4: did look like Voldemort, like, like literally like they lifted him from Harry yeah. Potter movies. I, a every...
0: Giant Voldemort. <sighs> right. Biggest Voldemort ever.
1: <laughs> See, Jordan, do you want to add anything to, to, what you've been you know, saying?
0: Well, I think my big thing is this was a movie that was, As everyone has been saying, essentially retreading the previous or New Hope. But the movie's over. I still don't have Luke. And I have no idea who Rey is or where she came from. And I feel like the only reason I don't know that is because there's two more movies in this trilogy. I don't know a ton about Finn other than that he was raised as a stormtrooper. I don't know his status. I don't know anything about Poe. And so, you know, I went on this adventure with all of these characters and I enjoyed their interactions, but I still don't feel like I know really anything substantial about them and who they were prior to this. And I think that that's the thing that I'm most frustrated about is feeling like the only reason I don't know some of this stuff is because there's more movies. What, why is Kylo Ren such a whiny brat? Who is Snoke? What did he do to convince Kylo Ren? Like I know we don't want to have like a bunch of info dumps and crazy amounts of exposition, but I feel like I was missing any of it. I didn't feel like I got a sense of anyone before the start of the film.
2: Well there there is a lot to analyze in the movie in terms of where the what the trajectory of this new trilogy is and I think that part of the reason why Jordan may be feeling, um, like there's a lot of information that hasn't been shared is because of the experience of the past watching Star Wars movies. We know there has to be some Luke, I am your father type reveal at some point in the trilogy. And they're laying the bait in this movie, but not springing the trap. And I think that we are a savvy to that because one we're all 40 years deeper into cinema history and also it's star wars and we're expecting it um so they've laid you know they've they've set it up for us we can guess the identity of some of these characters we can try to analyze the dialogue and figure out what the actual truth is behind the story um but i i suspect that it's just because of our knowledge as an audience that that we may feel like something was missing i wonder if we could go back and delete star wars entirely and then look at this movie in a vacuum would we f- still feel cheated in that way
0: i think i would with ray it's simply because we get that crazy vision with her lights touching the lightsaber yeah and then everyone just kind of knowingly looking at her throughout the movie and you know i am not someone who believes that she is a a twin of Kylo Ren because Leia would really remember having a second baby, even if she, you know, remembers being born and seeing her mother. If she can remember that, <laughs> she should remember having a second baby. But so I don't believe that theory. But
4: maybe their some- drugs are really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that so.
2: Let's talk about the fan theories for a minute. I I think that there are... Wait,
4: wait, before we do that, can I just say one thing? You're talking about character backstory, but one of the things that bothered me was the fact that we went from the end of Return of the Jedi, which is basically where we think, oh, the Rebels turned the the turn the corner and they're able to like start defeating the empire and then at the beginning of this they're like hey yeah there is a republic but there's also the first order and now there's a new resistance that's fighting against it the republic like that that was all weird to me and it just seemed like a quick shortcut to them being like look we need to have a rebellion so we're just gonna and we need to have an empire so we're just gonna reset this up it, almost as if their victory didn't really matter that
1: much. Yeah, I mean, that was one thing that really struck me is after the movie with the group of people I went to see it with, everyone wasn't talking like, oh, this part was so cool. That part was so cool, which I think is what people would have said after watching New Hope in 1977. Everyone was saying, like, did I miss some explanation for something? Because it seems like this there should have been an explanation for this, but I, I, I didn't get it, you know.
0: What I've been seeing is people in the Lucas world saying, oh, well, you know, you're going to find out all about how the resistance came about and the Republic in so-and-so's novel that's coming out next
1: month. Oh, God.
4: That's so bad.
2: Welcome to the world of transmedia.
1: Uh, Okay, so I just want to talk about, like, just something that people were confused about, right, was... I don't know, John, you saw this twice, right? Maybe you can explain this to me, but... Like, what the hell was going on with... Why was Luke Skywalker hanging out at this temple rather than helping his friends? And who made this map? And how, like, what was the deal with the map? Like, none of that stuff made any sense to me at all.
3: Yeah, no, I don't think there's really much of an explanation to, to try to make any sense of that. Like... Uh, Luke being enigmatic to because he's a Jedi or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's gone full hermit because uh, you know he trained Kylo Ren and then he turned against him and we don't know what the backstory is on that except that you know obviously Kylo Ren idolized Darth Vader and uh, you know he went to the dark side and everything and then he the destroyed- people. Yeah, and he destroyed everything that Luke had built, uh, you know, after Return of the Jedi but, um, so I mean that's why Luke isn't out there helping because he's he feels like he ruined everything and he, uh, you know, after he brought back to force and everything and defeated Darth Vader and the Empire, it's like uh, then he ruined everything uh, by being a failure as a teacher or whatever, so he's gone off and secluded himself, I, I assume because Wait, wait,
4: wait, there, there is another point that they mentioned though, that he is going looking for the first Jedi temple, right. well, which I think true. is supposed to provide some kind of like knowledge that will help with the force in some way i I agree it's vague but i think basically it sounds like luke is just a complete dick all of a sudden um yeah although i i i sorry i jumped into the middle of this but like my my assumption is that his choice is going to be related to something to do with ray and her background and stuff like that um but whatever
1: yeah yeah, you no, know, I mean, the map doesn't make sense. It yeah. just really – I mean, I still – like, yeah, the map doesn't make sense. It just it just really struck me because in Empire Strikes Back, Yoda's like, Luke, you have to stay here and do this Jedi crap. And Luke says, forget that. I, I have to help my <laughs> friends, which is like everything we yeah. know about Luke's personality. Right. So I just think it's its just such a major misstep to – But now to, he can be one,
4: Obi-Wan, the hermit who went off on his own into the wilderness and kind of, you know, is is –
2: Hermity. Doesn't Luke learn that lesson the hard way? Doesn't Luke learn that by going off to help your friends instead of completing your training is what leads to getting your hand chopped off, getting your friend encased in carbonite, scattering the rebellion to the far corners of the galaxy? Okay, wait, I don't want to... I don't want
1: to. I would argue with with you, Matt. I don't want to argue about Empire Strikes Back, though. But, I mean, I just think it's a mistake to, like, introduce Luke, like, a 180, do a complete 180 on his personality with no explanation whatsoever. I mean, a, virtually no explanation whatsoever of what's been going on in the last 30 years with him. I also think
4: it's ridiculous that everyone seems to just be like, hey, where's Luke? Let's go find Luke. Oh, my God, we got to go find Luke. You know, like that that whole, like, that was like the first line in the scroll, Luke Skywalker has been missing. And it's just like... Everyone's obsessed with finding Luke. I'm like, he's, I know he's the last Jedi, sort of, but he's one dude, you know? Like, you have a government to run. Maybe you have more important things to focus on. Um, especially if he's decided, Hey, guys, uh, I'm taking off. And like, they're all like, we must find Luke. It's like, what, why? I don't, that, that's what I didn't get as well, you know? Well, Luke's
2: relevant. Luke's relevant to the greater galaxy in, in Empire Strikes Back as well. He appears in the title scroll. Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has sent probe droids into the far reaches of space.
4: Like. Right, but see, and, and that's why I actually didn't mind them idolizing Luke and Han, because I feel like the, the Republic, even probably has some propaganda out there. Like it's in their benefit to tell these stories about these great heroes who helped try to liberate the galaxy. And so you would be hearing all this kind of stuff. And apparently something I just realized the other day, they can just be messages from anywhere in space to anywhere else in space, pretty much. Um, unless you're like, sometimes you need a signal boost, to take us out of the asteroid field so that I can shoot my message back to the emperor or whatever. But like, so and I know Matt, something we've talked about in the terms of the game again, but like, you know, it shouldn't have traveled so quickly, but in this universe, apparently it did. So the, it, it makes sense to me that there are people who are like, oh, you know, these heroes of the rebellion, um, and especially Luke Skywalker, like he would probably be the biggest, you know, the, the Jedi who came back.
2: Right. I I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the um, in the new expanded universe that's being developed through all the novels and games and stuff that... There is this, I, I, I'm not sure if it's called the Iron Curtain, but it's basically an Iron Curtain, that the Empire sets up a portion of the galaxy blocking off all communication to the larger world, and within that realm everyone still thinks Palpatine's alive, uh, the Empire's fully functional and in control, the Rebellion is just a bunch of losers, and that everything's going you know, according to plan. Um, that that's that that a big chunk of the galaxy doesn't know anything about Luke or the Rebels' successes or anything like that.
1: Okay, so um, Poe Dameron. I actually thought this was interesting because this makes a little more sense reading some of the articles. But, I mean, Poe Dameron, I thought um, Oscar Isaac, fantastic actor. He was great in this role. But the uh, plot of this character makes zero sense to me. And like the whole thing with him seeming to be dead and then coming back with really no explanation at all didn't work for me at all. But so apparently what I think happened here is apparently this character was supposed to die, and then I think they just liked Oscar Isaac so much they're like, ah, let's just have him be alive. Um, But they'd already written the script, and so they didn't want to mess with it too much, so they just kind of brought him back with no real explanation. But I also think this character initially was supposed to be Wedge Antilles, and then the actor who played Wedge in the other movies didn't want to come back, so they had to, you know, make him another character. And um, so I don't know. I just, I I thought that, like, given that he's going to come back, the way that he vanishes should have made it a lot more ambiguous about, or you know, like you should have seen him eject, and then like Van has no idea what happened to him, and he's like, "No, I don't know. Maybe he's alive or dead. I wouldn't know." You know?
4: Yeah. Then there's no suspense for the audience, right? I mean, like I, I honestly, when when it went down and he's the the ship gets swallowed, I'm like, "There's no way he's dead." Like Maybe I, immediately,
2: corpus, right? You don't see his. Yeah. Body.
4: And, and I felt like that, that is the impetus for Finn to actually have to be on his own. You know, like he yeah. takes on Poe's mission because he thinks he's dead. And like, yeah if, he, then li-
3: yeah, if he didn't think he was dead, then he, he may have spent a bunch of time looking for them and eventually may have found them. And then that would have defeated his, uh, you know, sort of impetus or, for him to go or on his own. Or if
4: Poe had survived, they would have been like, Hey, I'm going to go look for my BB-8 droid. Good luck. And then he would have gone off to save his, his own butt. And I think. That and they—they they need someone at the end to lead that mission, and it has to be someone that we know. That alien that shows see, no, up. No, see,
1: but Raj, I, I totally disagree because I think they should have just cut the entire Star Killer base out of this movie entirely. I think it serves no purpose in this movie whatsoever. It's totally ridiculous <laughs> to have another Death Star. It's so perfunctory, you like blink and you'll miss it. I, I thought that was a yeah. like train crash.
4: I mean, I agree. I mean, and also, like, why? Why are they suddenly just using this? Weapon now, like you know, at least with the Death Star, it's just fully operational, and they're using it to make a point. And these guys are just all of a sudden like fire it up. We we already know how to use it, and and that seemed a little odd to me. Um, as did the fact that they send like six ships against this thing that's fifteen times the size of the Death Star, at least or whatever. Um, you know, don't they have any Mon Calamari cruisers or you know like freighters or whatever? I don't know. It seemed a little weird. Somebody told me that maybe the the weapon had taken out most of their fleet but i i mean again i think one of the big problems with the movie is that all of these plot points which should probably be established better are just glossed over and i agree that it's kind of like hey you guys just like this stuff so just go with it you know mm-hmm.
3: um because yeah, but, it, yeah. it is I was gonna say the Starkiller base, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense, uh, and and I agree, I would have, I would have rather it was almost any other kind of weapon that they were gonna try to use to 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 try to, you know, fight it back against the the Republic or whatever, uh, just because he's yeah, it's like it's like another. It's but see, a, see yeah, it's John, I don't star, think that you even if they even need any kind are... of
1: weapon. Like they could have the same thing, like console and whoever goes to try to like destroy the whatever, so that. Um... Kylo Ren doesn't can't get to Luke before they do, right? That's all you need. You don't need some big stupid thing. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right, right, right. No, that's true.
1: I just want to say also on, on the issue of military tactics, like like it like they send like the seventy-three year old guy his Wookiee and the stormtrooper they've never heard of before on this mission that's like going to save the lives of everyone <laughs> in the galaxy, like save or doom yeah. the lives of like everyone in the galaxy, <laughs> at least in return of the Jedi, they sent him with a squad of commandos. So it kind of like makes it seem at least somewhat realistic. And like this, they, it's like, they're not even trying to make it seem plausible. Like at any stage of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're oh, right.
3: And, and so what I was, what I was going to say was, um, about the Starkiller base too, is that, um, like, sort of economically, like, I don't understand it at all. Like, cause, like, okay, well, how much did it cost to build that thing? Like, how did they have the resources to build that? Because also, this isn't even an empire. This is the first order. This is like a, like a faction, you know, that, that has amassed a lot of power. But, like, they're not like the empire. They, I mean, the empire couldn't even do that. All right. they could build is, is a, is a couple of Death Stars, you know? And, uh, it just seems a little, uh, <laughs> a little hard to imagine.
4: However, I will say that somehow, to me, a planet that works as a weapon is much more acceptable than a space station that is the size of a moon, which must have a crew of, like, billions to – you know what I mean? Or 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 a big, vacant center, and it must take you days to get from one end to the other. Like, I – when you stop to think about it, it doesn't really add up. Well, so, I, mean,
3: do, I mean, the key is to not stop to think about any of this. Right. I mean, I and, and that's, that's right. So then why right. are we stopping <laughs> to think about it? I
2: mean, that's sort of like Raj, I think has a great point that if you, dis- if you dissect any of these movies, they become ridiculous, yeah. And criticizing them based on the space opera elements of them is a just a lost cause in the first. Yeah,
3: place. Dave, that's your problem. That's like, it's like when you were a kid, you were able to watch them and and not think about them, you know, not to dissect them like this. But now you're an adult, and you and right, you, and you can't turn off that part of your brain. Why that's doesn't why Luke just it? get the rebellion to launch
2: a strike on Jabba the Hutt's palace, kill everyone there, and then salvage the the carbonite wreckage of Han Solo? Why do they need to sneak in with just three people? Like, just blow the thing up, kill the crime boss. What's the big deal? But, but, but I love that movie! It wouldn't be good if that was what happened. So I don't care that it, like, has this total illogic at the center of it. Every movie is stupid when you stop to think about it. I think it. there are degrees <laughs> of stupidity.
1: I don't think, I think you're looking at it as like the light, dark side and the light side.
2: Oh my God, Dave. Dave, what's your favorite movie? Tell me your favorite movie. I'll tear it apart right now. Seriously. <laughs> every single movie is stupid. Plots are contrived because they're not real life. Like, come can, on.
4: Can I bring up one point that, that I did have a major problem with this movie about? And partly due to my expectations. We get this cool looking Captain Phasma and the silver stormtrooper armor. And you're like, it's played by Gwendolyn Christie, who I love in Game of Thrones and is, is a, a, a great actor and very imposing. And she has like two awful tiny little scenes. And one of them she gets captured with like no preamble. There's no fight back. There's no, it's just a gun to her head. Lower the shields, done. Like, how, how awful is that?
0: Well, they did have a lookie in their defense. Every scene of her, though, is her failing. Right. So I think that that's my frustration, is she was this character that was built up as a formidable opponent to, the, to everybody, and instead, all I see her do is fail.
3: Yeah, but no. So Finn didn't just sneak up behind her with a with a blaster. You know, Chewbacca tackles her first, and then and then Finn has the blaster on her. So they did have a Wookiee involved. So, but so why not didn't...
4: at least give her the opportunity to show how yeah. awesome no, she no, no, is no, first? Know. You know,
3: I, I mean, I, I I'm totally with you. Like she didn't have anything. Like I was like, why is she even in this movie? She doesn't do anything. And she didn't um, need I to mean, take I off
0: her, her mask.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I assume, I, I'm actually glad that she didn't take off her mask just because, like, everybody else has taken off their mask. Kylo Ren's taking off his mask for no reason, you know? It's like, I'm glad she left it on. Um, but, uh, I mean, I assume that they're going to do more with her in the future movies, which is why she's in this one, you know? Um, right. But, uh, you know, like, and, and so, so not only with her, but with some of these other characters and like you guys are saying like, oh, like, you know, we don't really know who Ray is. We don't know much about Finn, even by the end of the movie and all this. Like, I, I mean, I actually, I'm kind of, I'm okay with that. Like, I kind of like it because it's like, I know there's going to be more and it's like, I don't need this movie to stand alone in any way. It's like, even if they had tried to make it do so, it wasn't going to. So, um. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to have like these hints of things to come since I enjoyed what I saw already. And it's like, I, I want to know more, you know, like, and, and I mean, at the, if I'm at the end of the movie and I feel like, oh, I don't really need to watch the next one because I, I got everything I needed out of this one. Well, that wouldn't be good. Um, and I, I actually like having the, you know, the possibility of having these more adventures in the future and I have those to look forward to. Um, and, and I think mean, like, like Raj was saying earlier, it's like, you know, I never really wanted episodes one through three, like, even before I knew what they were, and, like, now, and, and now that I've seen them and didn't like them, I, I mean, I always wanted episodes seven through nine. Like, that's that's what my mind always wanted to go to. I wanted to know what happened next after Return of the Jedi. And so, um, I mean, that's part of why I, I, I'm so glad to see this back, and, and even despite its failings, it, it really worked well for me.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I never cared about what happened before, the first trilogy because Obi Wan told me what happened, and then Vader said, Well, here's what actually happened. And then I knew, and I did always want what happened next. When I was in third grade, I wrote George Lucas a letter saying, Can I play Han and Leia's daughter? Thanks.
1: <laughs>
0: he didn't write back.
3: That but, bastard.
0: Like, that was as a nine year old, I was just like, There's so much more story to tell, and I want to experience it, however, I can.
3: Um, and you were like, how could that jerk not write back to me? <laughs> um, so many famous
0: people did not write back to young Jordan.
4: <laughs> but like this movie succeeds in, I think, the Passing the Baton movie. You know, like mm-hmm. basically we we love it for those of us who do love it. Um, partially because we get to see these same characters that we fell in love with. I mean, look, Han Solo was, has been my personal hero since I was probably five. And like, you know, even my... My two novels that are out now, the main character, you know, is made up of some of Han's DNA, basically, because it's that deeply rooted in, in, in me, uh, in my mind and what I appreciate. And, you know, I feel like that's why we, we are interested in these movies, because we want to see where these characters ended up because we love them so much. You know, Anakin, it doesn't matter to us. It's Vader who matters to us. And they gave us a, a, a crappy lead up to how he became Vader. So I think, you know, I I think that's what happens, and I think they needed to have a movie where Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie were in it, so that like so we have them to anchor us, and then they introduce these uh, at least one. I I like both Ray and Finn, but I think Ray is like amazing, like she blows my mind, and so now. You know, we were brought in to be like, oh, we get more Han Solo, but then we see Rey and we're like, okay, I can follow her throughout the next few movies. And I think on that level, it succeeded really well. And again, I think I that's all. Watch.
1: Let me just say, though, about uh, this movie actually made me appreciate George Lucas more because, like, the prequels are, are the execution. It's, it's hard to imagine how it could be worse, but, like, it's an ambitious project. Like, he's like, I'm going to show you how a cute little kid with all this promise turns into this, you know, villain and I'm going to show you how a uh, democracy falls and becomes a dictatorship. And that's, I think that's a story worth telling. I wish he had told it better, but it's ambitious. It's like trying to say something. And I, I thought once Lucas is out of the picture, I, I thought like he's just got these weird idios- idiosyncratic things that make him so that he can't, you know, create likable characters anymore or whatever. And once he's out of the picture, I think things will improve a lot. And with this movie, I'm like, eh. Now it's like it's gone too far in the other direction. Now it's all about the like characters, but it's not saying anything and it's not ambitious in any way at all. Hmm.
2: Dave, do you, do you, Dave, do you remember the thing that I said to you right when this whole thing got announced and it all started? I, I remember it very vividly. And what I said was um, my expectation for Episode 7 is that it's going to be a great movie, but it's just going to be a movie. And that that will be the legacy of Disney's Star Wars. Is they're going to be good films, high quality, very entertaining, like the Avengers. But it's just going to be like the Avengers, which lacks all depth and never does anything more than make us entertain for two hours and takes our $16 a pop. Like, that's all it serves to do. Now Star Wars is just going to be like every other franchise.
4: But I think you're you're right in what you were saying before in that Lucas made his films because he wanted to see them made. He made them for himself whereas Abrams made this film for us. Like specifically, it was like for, you know, he's one of us in a way because he grew up with the same stuff. But for better or worse, Lucas did it for himself. So in the beginning when the vision was fresh and he had all this, you know, creativity and he was young and and eager and hungry, I think he produced this amazing trilogy of movies. And then, you know, like I, I, I think it's pretty obvious to me at least that he started believing too much in his own like Personal vision and lost track of, I think, what made it work. Um, and so, so, so it's that kind of thing, you know, when people tell you write the book you want to see. And sometimes that works really well. And sometimes it works really badly because, you know, what you want to see is, is kind of very, uh, I guess when you get stuck in this little narrow viewpoint. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, but I think there's no way he would never, he was never going to produce another great Star Wars movie, though.
3: Uh, I just wanted to mention in passing, since Dave mentioned the prequels and how the sort of story they're trying to tell is, is, uh, sort of ambitious. Um, somebody actually just recently published an article that was really interesting. I think it was on GamesRadar, uh, website. Um, and, and basically the guy is saying, it's like, like, so George Lucas had this, uh, really great vision for what the prequels were going to be. It's just that he really fumbled the execution and him, and, and the guy goes and explains all the ways in which it, the story is all actually there except that Lucas focused in all the wrong areas, um, and uh, and the way the guy was sort of reworking the the various elements of the prequel trilogy has actually made me kind of more kindly predisposed towards it, um, even if uh, you know obviously the execution is a miserable failure. Um, but you know, but, I mean, uh, are you talking about of the... the ring
2: theory article, John?
3: Uh, no, let me uh, let me
2: just because uh, that was the other something that's been getting a part lot part of part. yeah. While you look it up, I'll talk I'll talk about it. There was something that's been getting a lot of buzz recently which is this article that's been slowly getting updated for the last couple of years called Star Wars Ring Theory. And the idea is that the Star Wars sexology, sectology, whatever it is. Um, <laughs>
4: sexology is, sounds wrong.
2: Um, well, anyway, this guy wrote this article analyzing all six films, reflecting on how the prequels mirror the original trilogy perfectly, scene to scene, beginning to end, In the most elegant fashion imaginable, so that every single scene in opposite directions, it's a palindrome, the whole six movies, and that it's actually brilliantly crafted start to finish. Um, And, you know, it's not changing my attitude on the on the prequels. In anticipation of the new movie, Jordan and I tried to watch episode three, we got about 45 minutes in before we were just like, we're done. This is like eating too much chocolate.
4: Also, one of the differences is, so, so, you know, he, I think Lucas tries to get very complicated in the prequels with like all this trade federation stuff and what Palpatine's secret manipulative plan is, but it's just a mess. And this movie is like, look. All you need to know is there's good guys, there's bad guys, and they're going to blow up the big thing at the end. <laughs> and there's some shady stuff in the middle, you know, like there's some human moments. I mean, like all the Kylo Ren stuff I thought was really well done and it could have been fumbled really badly, I think. Um And obviously it's mirroring stuff we've seen before, like everything else in this movie is. But another reason that didn't bother me is because – I mean they already mirror themselves in the original trilogy. Like, the third one, they go back to Tatooine in the beginning, and then they have, you know, like, like there's there's repetition, and it's, you know, if you want to go back to the whole mythic cycle, like, that's part of that whole thing. So, it made sense to me that they would do these same broad strokes over again. I mean, if they keep doing it, if the next, although, I don't know, if the next one's, like, Empire, maybe I will like it.
1: <laughs> I, I just want to say about Kylo Ren, because I, I think that, there was so much potential there, and i mean I, I think the the problem for me is that you know the whole the whole thing is that he 's going to kill his father Hansel at the end of the movie and, <gasps> and so and so everything should be leading up to that, but we barely see him in this movie and like what he 's like all over this movie.
2: What are you talking
1: about? No, Matt. Like, like so, like so much of this movie is like the stupid alien of the cantina and the stupid tentacle aliens and the ship and like freaking star
2: There's one action There's one action sequence that's tied into Han Smuggler Han instead of General of the Rebellion Han. But, but the movie. I mean, like Kylo Ren's in the opening scene of this movie. We see him interact with every other principal character
1: except he Han is- Solo, who's the one character who, for story reasons, he needs to interact with if he's gonna kill him at the end.
0: No, he doesn't. He's got all sorts of data when do, issues. When do, Darth
1: Vader, when do Darth Vader and
2: Obi-Wan talk before Darth Vader slices Obi-Wan in half?
4: And they talk about what happened in the past, so you know that the history's there, and you know that he's upset, Han's upset about it. And... The same
2: reference points, yeah, exactly. Was
4: anyone surprised when Kylo Ren killed Han Solo? Mm-hmm.
2: No! no but,
4: but that's the point. That- I think it's inevitable. Like, you see Han doesn't realize what's going to happen. You realize what's going to happen. Han totally and like, realizes
2: oh. what's going to happen. Right.
4: Like, everyone knew. But, like, I still dreaded the moment. Also because, you know, like I said, Han has been my hero since I was five years old. But, like, you know, it's, I, I like the fact... Like, I actually found that Kylo Ren's little arc in this one story was better than Vader's whole arc throughout the prequels. Like, you know, you see... His insecurity and you see, you know, like in a way, like Vader was being pulled. And I like that Vader was being pulled toward the dark side. You know, Ren has kind of gone over to the dark side is being still pulled back toward the other side and is trying to fight it. And like, you know, is is like, is like that kid who who's like, no, I'm strong. I'm totally strong. Like I that spoke to me more. Like elegantly about the human condition, or not human condition, but like that sounds that sounds pompous. But I mean, like about real people and how they feel. Then, like I never bought Vader's slide in the prequels. I mean, I I have a story in my head that makes a lot more sense. But I thought the way that you know, like, and and you, you, I feel like in that moment, it's like Kylo Ren is saying, "This is the thing I can do that I can't turn back from, and this will make me fully dark side because you know I'm gonna kill my father in some strange way and I bet you it's not going to work, but, you know, he does it anyway.
1: I think if they developed that character more, there would have been some suspense about what was going to happen at the end of the movie, and that would have been an improvement.
0: I don't think there's anyone in that entire theater. As soon as Kylo Ren is revealed to be Han's son by Snoke, I turned to Matt and I said, Han's dead. I can't imagine anyone would have expected any other outcome.
3: Do you think it would have worked better or been more suspensive, like we didn't know until that moment that he was his son? Or No,
4: I, I think they, I think they dropped it at the right time.
3: The
2: only reason why there's no suspense is because we have expectations as viewers of Star Wars, right? We know the tropes. We know the patterns. We've watched it before. And so it's the whole movie is pattern recognition. Seeing, oh, what are all the places where this mirrors... A new hope. And we see them all. We see the desert planet. We see the poor, destitute person who aspires to something better. Who wears linen. But is afraid to leave and wears linen. Right? We see the droid with the secret plan running across the desert dunes. Right? We get the cantina. We get the lightsaber. We get all the stuff. And we go to the end and we're like, what's the thing that's missing here? Oh, Obi-Wan hasn't gotten cut in half yet. Uh Uh-oh. And then you realize, like,
4: that bridge, I mean, you see that bridge, and you know one of them's falling off it, and they're not going to throw Kylo off that bridge, you know? Like, I think that's th- – maybe a few people somewhere out there were like, oh, this is where Han's going to ha- end up throwing his son off. But, like, no, of course not. Well,
0: and I think, I think what's unfortunate is Harrison Ford is a human being. Very clearly, it's over it. Yeah. If you watch any interview he's done, he shredded Jimmy Fallon's Han Solo figure on national TV. <laughs> like – Harrison Ford is so done that I think of course I went into it assuming mm-hmm, right I mean I think a lot of people
4: Well he wanted to die in Return of the Jedi.
0: Yeah.
4: Yeah, he he lobbied for it.
0: Yeah, but I think that everyone went into it expecting one of those three people to die and the fact that Luke wasn't on the poster, people were either thinking he's Kylo Ren, he's disappeared or he's going to die in the opening sequence. And then we killed Han because Harrison Ford is so over checked it.
2: out, yeah. And
0: I think that it's unfortunate that we can't see a film blindly anymore because of press tours and junkets, but that certainly informed my viewing of it. But I- well, I'm well, i
3: just, I'm just glad I didn't know that uh, Harrison Ford hadn't signed on for any more than the one movie. Because if I'd known that, it was like, oh, well, of course he's going to get killed. Uh, did going into did, it. Is that true? Yeah, that's what I had heard.
4: Because uh, I'd read some articles saying that they could do flashbacks with him. And uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think that that doesn't make any sense.
3: Think about how, you know,
2: Mark Hamill got brought to set for weeks and hid, like there were, there were set photos of him hanging out in the desert with the cast while they were shooting, you know, the Jakku sequence. And they just stuck him in a trailer for weeks and I'm sure paid him Handsomely,
4: he got second billing on that movie and just, was in it for yeah. two minutes. He
2: just got to hang out on set and not be filmed because, like, strictly as spoiler protection. That's astounding to me.
4: Can I can I just say, I saw a tweet today that said, you know, I haven't seen this much solidarity since 9-11 in reference to the fact that spoilers were protected on this movie. And I am kind of amazed that I've seen that across, you know, on the internet. And we were waiting, I was waiting in line. And there were people who would put their fingers in their ears after anyone walked past from a previous movie. But, like, all people would say is... I loved it or it's worth it or whatever. And, you know, there was that when I saw Han Solo's death, I was like, anyone could have just been a dick about this, you know? And I haven't seen any of that. And, and just even like the, the people who run the, you know, I mean, obviously there's Disney wants to protect what's in the movie, but they, they were really careful even in just promotion about, you know, what people could say and what they couldn't say. All the books
2: that contain spoil, all the books that contain spoilers were published. This week, right after the movie finally released,
3: you know, I was really impressed too. Yeah, because I I haven't seen any spoilers anywhere, and 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 actually, so I went to you know, Dave mentioned I went to go see this a second time, and so um, there was a bunch of these like unruly teenage boys like waiting in line like right ahead of us, and they were like so annoying, and I was just like I like a part of me was just like I'm gonna I'm gonna go over this is like hey. You kids, you behave or I'm gonna spoil this movie <laughs> for you. And but it's like it, it was an empty threat because I, I could never do that to someone even as even as annoyed as I was by like even as, as much as I wanted to shake my lightsaber at them, like you know, uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't spoil the movie for them. But but I mean they wouldn't know that. Apparently, um, you know, I, didn't, I a, didn't do it. I didn't do it.
0: Apparently there was a little kid after our screening who walked out oh, and no. said, Oh, what about that part where Han Solo Didn't die.
4: Oh, he was trying to be nice, but he he was was
0: trying to just being a brat.
2: You know, one thing that I really prided myself on going into the film is that I avoided as many trailers and promotional materials as I could. I saw the first teaser trailer, I guess a year ago, and then didn't watch anything else about the movie since and to the point where I was fully prepared to run out of a crowded movie theater if the theatrical trailer started playing during a movie huh. that I was seeing. <laughs> so I walked in never having seen the trailer for this film, knowing next to nothing about it other than the faces of the characters and the locations that are depicted in the in the original teaser trailer. And uh, as after I got home from the movie, I immediately watched the theatrical trailer to see what did I dodge? Because, you know, trailers are more than just, oh, so-and-so gets their head chopped off, so-and-so you know, is Luke's father. Um, there's there's so many contextual things that if you're savvy, just ruin the tension of a movie for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just like, just for example, um, there's a shot in, in the teaser trailer of Star Wars where Poe Dameron is in an X-Wing flying over a river. And it's like, well, let's see. If I'm at any point in this movie and Poe Dameron is in uh, Jeopardy, and I haven't seen that shot of him in the X-Wing yet, then I know that he's not actually in any danger of being in trouble or dying. That was the thing that more than anything else clued me in, that he wasn't actually dead after the TIE fighter crash. Because it's like, I haven't seen him in the X-Wing yet. Obviously, he's not dead. He's going to come back. And sure enough, an hour and 50 minutes into the movie, we see that shot of him in the X-Wing.
1: I want to say about the trailer, because... I think that the trailer for Star Trek 2009 and for this movie portray movies that are much, much better than the actual movies, because all the shots in the trailer have a sense of genuine danger and a sense of intense human emotion. And like an honest trailer for this movie would have more shots of Han Solo saying, like, it wasn't 14 parsecs, it was 12 parsecs and like the dumb kind of stuff like that. And I just really, really... I watched the trailers for, um, for Star Trek 2009. I watched it over and over again because it just, it depicts this movie that seems so good. And I just wish that they would make trail, uh, make actual movies that match the tones <laughs> of those trailers because those are the movies I really want to see. Yeah,
3: but that's hard. Making <laughs> good stuff is hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but you know, uh, before we get too far away from talking about, uh, Han Solo on the, on the bridge with Kylo Ren and everything, it's just like, you know, I, I was kind of hoping by this point in the Star Wars universe, like, you know, 30 years on after Return of the Jedi or whatever, it's like, would someone teach people how to install, like, safety railings? Like, come on. Like, just <laughs> everywhere. Still, Dude, no safety railings. he got railings. stabbed through the chest
2: with a lightsaber. Even if there had been no bridge there, he was toast. Like, he No, was of course. Toast.
3: Well, of course. But, I mean, come on. Like, who, why would you even walk out onto that bridge? It's crazy. That's a crazy thing to walk across. It's
0: because they designed these catwalks with the expectation that they're going to kill somebody <laughs> and push
2: them off. <laughs> yeah.
0: They're the bad guys. They don't believe in railings.
2: You can imagine the engineers of the Starkiller base going, oh, man, wouldn't it be sick to have a lightsaber
3: battle on this bridge?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's why the Rebellion has to whinge on, so they can establish OSHA standards.
3: Yeah, right, right, exactly. You know, I mean, J.J. Uh, JJ clearly doesn't believe in, in uh, safety railings whatsoever, because Star Trek had the same problem. <laughs>
4: I just have a quick question. Somebody mentioned to me, so somebody mentioned that Kylo Ren's lightsaber was the way it was because it wasn't fully constructed, and so it was a little, like, less powerful, and that's why it's a little ragged around the edges, but that was never explained in the movie, right? No. 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 Okay.
2: But it was cool. I kind of liked that it was like a weird scraggly blade or whatever. And you know what was also impressive was that, you know, people had criticized the crossbar on the great sword lightsaber that it seemed, you know, ostentatious and dumb. But hey, that thing was fully functional. You know, I forgot that like so often people get locked in lightsaber combat where they're like, you know, swords are stuck together and they're pushing back and forth, back and forth. And like those, that crossbar is super successful. You can like just stab someone in the chest while your blades are locked with one another.
4: Yeah. But did you notice that lightsabers seem less deadly in this movie?
3: Yeah. Yeah, nobody got their hand cut off or anything.
4: There were a lot of burns, but there were not a lot of deaths, But really. Finn
3: could totally be
2: in a wheelchair in the next movie. I mean, he got slashed right through the spine. He's toast, you know? They just didn't show us what the end result was.
3: Yeah, speaking of Finn getting slashed, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't end up in a bacta tank afterwards. It's like, come on, that's how people get healed in Star Wars. You know, they, you get stuck in a bacta tank for a while. You can't just, like, lay on a bed.
0: Clearly, medicine has grown in the years <laughs> that have passed, unlike safety railing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could I actually about that scene though, John? Like, I, I was really, really skeptical of the con- very convenient chasm opening be- between Kylo <laughs> Ren and Rey at the end of the movie. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, could he have used the Force maybe to create that? I don't know. And maybe if I went back and watched it, was there any kind of justification no, for that? It just no, 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 no.
3: No, yeah, no, it doesn't really. <laughs> There's no justification for it.
0: And he's um, not good enough to do that.
4: Yeah. Although he can stop a blaster bolt.
0: Oh that blaster holy shit. Oh yeah no that was amazing right That was like the moment when I was so locked in as soon as and, and it just hung there for that whole scene Ugh.
3: I mean that was cool I don't know that I really buy it fully like from what we've seen of the force so far but okay I'm I'm willing to go with it I mean he's also able to like to force pull thoughts out of people's heads which I don't think we've seen before so Um, so that was all pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of really curious, like where his training came from and like, you know, cause Snoke leads to his training needs to be finished and it's like, well, who the hell is Snoke? He's, he's clearly not a Jedi or a Sith himself since, um, you know, Han Solo points out that he's using Kylo Ren for his power or whatever. Well, Um, Snoke,
2: Snoke has a music cue and his, his, Snoke's theme is nearly identical to the tragedy of Darth Plagueis a sound cue from episode three. Hmm. So you can What does that mean?
4: So he's a Sith? Darth Plagueis was the one who trained Palpatine, right?
2: Correct. Who who in the um prequel era expanded universe
3: is actually the father of Anakin.
4: Right. He's the one who created life from the force itself. Right.
3: Yeah, so, so speaking of which, uh, so I, I feel like there's two things that the prequels did better than this movie. One is the music. I, I thought the music in the prequels was generally better, at least the Phantom Menace. Like, the Phantom Menace actually has amazing music. Um, and I mean, it's John Williams, also John Williams, so I mean, I mean, the music in this is fine. It's just that I, I feel like, uh, specifically, so there's the music overall, and then also specifically, like, the fight sequences, um, like, at the end of Phantom Menace, like, there's nothing as cool in this movie as, as that. Like, uh, like, as cool as the stuff is that's in this movie, there's nothing that comes close to matching, um, you know, uh, Darth Maul's duel with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. Like, that's, like, such a badass duel. Just, like, I, I really, I really wanted to see something like that again, because, like, Because, because, I mean, that's the one thing that I, that I really wanted, um, you know, all my life as, you know, as a fan, uh, before the prequels came out was to see, like, true masters with the lightsaber going at it. Because, like, Luke doesn't really know what he's doing for most of it. And, like, you know, Vader's kind of robotic and stiff and whatever. And so it's like, whenever they fight in the original trilogy, it's like, we don't really get. The you know the really kinetic uh sword fight that we see like in in episode one um and you know like there's there's awesome uh, lightsaber duels in in this new one and everything but um you know uh, nothing quite on par with that scene which is like the only good thing that Phantom Menace did.
2: I want to talk about one more thing related to Han Solo's death. Um, this was the thing that I think I have walked away thinking about and sort of feeling like is the defining aspect of the movie. Um, I teach Star Wars both uh, to, to everyone that I teach classes for, from second graders up to graduate students in the Ivy League. And across the board, the thing that I try to convey to people is that Star Wars is the modern myth. It is the epic that you can use to teach narrative structure because it fits it so well. And one of the things that I find most endearing about it is that it is this cohesive whole. And maybe that's a generational thing. I recognize that. But I was born at a time where Return of the Jedi had already come out. The, the trilogy existed in its entirety. And so it was always the Star Wars trilogy. It was this one complete story. Um And the thing that made me so mad about this movie is that, you know, how do you tell the story of Star Wars to your kids now? You say, oh, and and at the end, all of the heroes that you love lived happily ever after. And then two hours later, Han Solo got stabbed through the chest and fell off a bridge and died. <laughs> it's like horrible.
0: People die. Hey,
2: alive. life is pain, Highness. Oh, but you know what? People die. But you know what? At the end of Cinderella, Cinderella doesn't die of old age. Her daughter doesn't (laughs) die in childbirth. The king doesn't get assassinated by a rival ruler at the end of Cinderella.
0: Well, I don't... Like, come on. Okay, but I think that there is definitely a trend in the stories that have been told in the last decade that take a look at, you know, villains from another perspective, or telling stories after they end, because life goes on and it's not always happily ever after. And I think that says something about our society today that we're, you know, willing to see what happens after and that it's not always pretty. But, you know, I think that you show star Wars to your kids the way you want to show star Wars to your kids. And, you know, it's still a fantastic story to tell. And now they get to relate to Finn and Ray too. And isn't that awesome?
1: I do. I want to say I I agree with you, though, Matt, that I mean, like when I took creative writing in college, uh, our professor used the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy as the example. And he said that was the only thing he could really point to that everyone in the class would be familiar with, that that was the common culture. Right. And I do agree with what you were saying earlier, that if there's a Star Wars movie every year, it's going to lose that. Everyone you know everyone will have seen like rogue squadron and like whatever else comes out but maybe they didn't see whatever the original trilogy or it's going to diffuse that that common culture aspect of star wars
4: right
2: right like in the early 2000s when i would talk about star wars and my friends would be like what that that movie about the robot army and the little green dude fighting with a lightsaber
1: um all right cool so why don't we move now into the Let's get to the fan theories. And, um, so, I mean, Matt, you've been dying to talk about some fan theories for a while. So let's, uh, let's jump into that.
2: <laughs> All right. So let's start by talking about Ray's
1: patronage. Um,
0: parentage, who? not patronage. Pa- let's, who's paying for Ray's life? Shh,
1: quiet you. <laughs> let's talk about how you can support Geeks Guide to the Galaxy at patreon.com slash geeks.
2: <laughs> there you go. Let's, let's support Ray's patronage, which would be to Geeks Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> um, so who is she? Uh, I think that there's there are a few theories that have been bandied about, and I like all of them. Um, I think any of these could be true. And John, since you've seen it twice, I'm going to rely on you for giving me direct quotes. But there are three moments in the movie that give us hints at what's going on unspoken in the story. Um, the first is, well, I, I might be, my chronology might be off. But I think that the first one is uh, when Han meets Ray and Finn. And he talks about uh, the sort of like his recollections of the rebellion era, right? And who Kylo Ren is, and who he is, and what he's been doing for the last X number of years. Um, the second is that weird sort of vision that Rey has when she touches Anakin's lightsaber uh, in the basement of the cantina. And all the sort of imagery and voiceover that we hear in that moment. And then the third is in the conversation between Han and Leia, their discussions about what's going on in in the larger galaxy. Um, And so from those, we can sort of try to glean what we can about the things that are unspoken, the things that will lead to, oh, well, I was telling the truth from a certain point of view. Um, I can only imagine that Han is lying about something in that first scene. Um, and so, anyway, to get to the the question about Rey, I think there are three possibilities. One is that she is a twin or younger sister of Kylo Ren, that she is, in fact, also the child of Han and Leia. Two, that she is Luke Skywalker's daughter, uh, which is why she feels the pull of the lightsaber so strongly. And it would also, in some ways, explain why she was put into hiding. You can imagine that when Kylo Ren went crazy, um, he killed a bunch of people at Luke's New Jedi Temple, potentially also including Luke's wife, and then, you know, flew off to the First Order. uh, And that out of fear that she would also turn to the dark side, Rey was put on a planet where she wouldn't feel the pull of the Force, or uh, she was sent into protection so that Kylo Ren wouldn't also kill her too. Um, And then the third, which is kind of interesting, there's less evidence for this, but there's one piece of evidence that I really like, which is that Rey has a very distinct lightsaber combat style, which is that several times during that fight with Kylo Ren, she rears back and then stabs forward with her lightsaber and there's only one other person in the history of star wars who fights with a lightsaber this way and it's emperor palpatine oh so is it possible that in some way she's related more directly to the emperor
3: oh weird oh i wouldn't have even thought of that but i did i did definitely notice her fighting style and that she was, has that a was weird fighting style yeah the only person who uses moves like that
2: is Palpatine in episode three.
4: Someone mentioned, though, that she uses her staff that way, though, too. She pokes with it. She doesn't slash with it. So, like, that that was her natural way of... No- like, I mean, I, I felt like the fact that how could she use a lightsaber? Oh, she's used to using a staff. So, like, it's, you know, at least she knows how to fight hand to hand. I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong or whatever. But that was uh, one explanation that was um, brought forth as to that style.
2: Right, I know. I I saw that as well, Raj, and I think it's a good point. But the the ambiguity of it, I think, is really interesting.
4: Sure.
3: So so I have a question based on what you were just saying uh, about uh, in this sort of uh, tangential to her her parentage. But um, so you mentioned uh you know her connection to picking up Anakin's lightsaber, and, and it's like you know in the movie they call it Luke's, but then they say and it was his father's before him, and I was like, oh shit, that didn't even occur to me. It's like, well, he actually lost Anakin's a lightsaber when when Vader cuts his hand off right right and and they never found it did they I mean because he built a new one
2: right I wonder if they ever do find it in the expanded universe but of course since we're abandoning all of that continuity right. um
4: but it it probably it could have gotten collected in a lint trap on Bespin <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, it,
3: no, I mean it could have uh, in any number of ways it could have been found but uh I guess I was imagining um that this, that, uh, what's her name? That Maz, uh, had it because, like, it was, like, Luke's lightsaber. Like, you know, it was his... I, I, it didn't actually occur to me, like, no, it's his original lightsaber that, right. that Obi-Wan gave him. Right. Um, and so that's even weirder. Cause I was like, cause I mean, that's also one of the, the things about the movie that I was like, eh, like that, that doesn't make any sense that this woman has this. Like, why does she have it? Um, I will
4: say though, I'm listening to the audiobook of Aftermath. Um, I'm only about halfway through the Chuck Wendig book that takes place between Return of the Jedi and The Voice Awakens. Um, and it doesn't mention Luke's lightsaber so far, but there are a group of people looking for Vader's lightsaber. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I guess it's possible that some people would be seeking these things out because they were, they're like special. Um, but yeah,
2: they're looking for the glove of Darth Vader.
4: I have a different theory, if I may say, which ties into it. This is crazy. So like, this is the first time I'm saying this out loud because it just occurred to me, but it's, I was thinking so hard about this Force Awakens thing, and I was thinking really hard about the fact that, like you guys said, we have Finn, and suddenly he he's spent his whole life as a stormtrooper, and suddenly one day we see him down on the planet, and he doesn't want to do something, and he, he throws off his, his uniform, literally. Um, and, you know, the question... And then he mentions he was in sanitation, but he's a stormtrooper. I don't think they have stormtrooper cleaning up things, right? So, so like, his backstory is very clouded, and also Rey's is as well. And so, the Force Awakens thing, and I was thinking, what if these are, like, so what if both of them aren't, how do I say this? If the Force is really awakening, could it be possible that, and and, and we've seen that people can, Jedis can go into the Force when they die, right? Could this be sort of like a reincarnation thing or a thing where, like, you know, people from the past are being kind of reborn into these bodies and kind of awakening uh for some reason at a certain specific time or maybe luke's toying around in the jedi temple i know it's far out there but that was what occurred to me just now
1: well but no but the Moz character says i've seen the same eyes in different people so that actually mm-hmm. fits mm-hmm. with
2: that yeah that's interesting
1: because finn finn is not very
4: well defined and you know why would he all of a sudden decide I, stormtrooper life isn't for me um I mean you could argue that yeah he never had to maybe pull a gun on somebody before and he was like brand new stormtrooper but it seems a little odd to me and especially they said they don't clone people they actually take people and so you know that makes it seem like they they make a point of saying that like oh clone army might be better but like if if there is some kind of rebirth going on it would normally happen in in actual people but anyway far out there theory just just saying it out loud cuz it occurred to me just now um, people can laugh at me when they're listening to this.
1: No, I think that's really interesting, Raj. I mean, the only thing is that I, I seriously wonder how much thought went into this movie. I mean, because <laughs> Michael Oren worked on the script for a long time, and I don't know how much of his they ended up using it. But basically, he told J.J. Abrams, I need 18 more months. And J.J. Abrams said, well, we only have six months due to the Disney's deadline thing. So then J.J. Abrams and uh, Lawrence Kasdan took it and apparently in six weeks, basically, rewrote it. Uh wrote the first draft in six weeks. So that's the only thing that makes me just kind of doubtful that there's a grand plan at work. I think that this is much more a work Oh,
0: I'm convinced there's a grand plan. As a former licensed editor who who worked on a bunch of franchises, this is Disney's biggest franchise right now. And they have so many different people writing these new novels across all different um, timelines from different um, eras. And I think that... Somebody, there is a Bible and people know the vision. Yeah, they there's... may not know every detail, but they know where it's going, or else there's no way they could be doing this massive campaign across multimedia.
2: I suspect that they know exactly what happens in the next two movies, that eight and nine are fully mapped out, and that the scripts for eight and nine are tagged with three to five uh, seeds for other things that could spin off into different movies. Um, they're they're planting the seed for a lot of different things, but in terms of, like, the grand arc of the trilogy, they know way better than George Lucas did in 1977 exactly where it's all going.
4: Can we just go back to something really quickly? Matt, you were talking about the three fan theories. So, I mean, obviously, she's been mind wiped, right? Because she doesn't remember anything. So he... well, She
2: was little. She was very little. I mean, there is that shot of her on Jakku staring at the ship flying away, and she's teeny tiny so i think it's arguable that you could like she could just not remember it's not very in continuity with like leia being you know postnatal and remembering her mother's like attitude and opinion on things
4: she can't be much younger than kylo ren right so like like he would have to remember having a sister you know like he didn't get he he, uh, i mean and he he went bad recently like or at least in the past five Five years you would set, expect. So, you know, it's not like they were kids and they said, Hey, let's take him. Let's take her apart because we know he's going to turn back. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I mean, that's the, the problem I see with that. But I do think that, I mean, the Luke's daughter theory makes sense in a way. If, if she was, but again, she would have to be really young unless he went bad a long time ago. That's, that's what I'm having issue with.
3: So I have, I have a question about, um, about Kylo Ren and like how old is he supposed to be compared to, um, to Rey? Because in that flashback sequence or whatever, when she touches the lightsaber and she, and you know, we see the bit where she's on Jakku and she's a little wee child and, and, uh, you know, her parents are being taken away or flying away or whatever. Um, doesn't it seem like there's a voice that says something to her that sounds just like Kylo Ren's like distorted mask voice? Like, I I would have sworn that that was actually, like... Like, he was the person holding that little child's hand. And, uh, that's sort of, like... And, like, if that's the case, then that's why he's, like, so, like, obsessed with her. Because, like, if you remember, um, when... Uh, when the one, uh, sort of, um, you know, just drone officer guy is, is reporting to Kylo Ren and he's like saying that the droid got away and, and, uh, that he had help and there was a girl and like he, he pulls him over to him with the force and like starts choking him. And he's like, what girl? Like, he's like, really, it's like he, it's like he fixated on the fact that there was this girl because he, in like, if, if what I'm saying is, has any basis in fact, it's like, okay, well, he knows that there was this one girl on Jakku. And if it's that girl, then he wants to know it. And if she's special for some reason, he wants to know it was her, you know, and, you know, given the fact that he offers to train her at the end, like when they're dueling, it's like, I kind of suspect that, you know, that, that kind of does lend some credence to the idea that she's related to Palpatine, or at least she certainly is special in some way. Um, and that I think Kylo Ren knows why.
4: I hope it's not a prophecy thing. I hope.
0: The- that vision sequence, as soon as it gets up on YouTube, is going to be looked at from every possible angle. There was an, an article in an Entertainment Weekly, um, an interview with JJ, talking about the voiceovers. And they brought in Frank Oz to do some Yoda voicing. They also brought in Ewan McGregor to do Obi-Wan voicing. And they used some Alec Guinness um, audio. So, Those are at least voices we know are in that vision. You have Yoda and an amalgam of Obi-Wans. So there's definitely a lot to parse out of that whole vision sequence that until it's on YouTube, I think we're all going to sit and dissect without knowing what's actually said. Um,
4: Can I say I love that sequence, though? Like, we, we, you know, Luke has visions when he's on Dagobah and Empire. We don't see them, you know? And, you know, Yoda goes, the past you may see the future also or whatever he says you know like he, he obviously through the force you can see things but it's it was kind of awesome to be able to see them and to have them be mysterious enough that we could sit here and like talk about them for hours and hours and hours um and i i guess this is the internet age where they know people are going to talk about this kind of stuff but i i really loved that that tangible sense especially when she touches the lightsaber like that to me is kind of how the force should work you know there should be this kind of like psychic connection throughout things and obviously you know uh, that leans me toward thinking she's somewhat connected to Luke in some way or at least that that thing I mean she's yeah she's young to be Luke's daughter though I mean maybe she could be his granddaughter I don't know is that is that possible he's like 60 right so she she's 20 he could easily be his granddaughter yeah um
0: daughter dudes can have babies when they're old
4: I know as long as you, as long as your lightsaber is still strong um but oh my god um sorry that was bad um but yeah i i guess so i don't know did anyone think luke was very like dramatic at the end when he <laughs> tossed off his thing with his long hair and was like oh
3: i thought
2: it was sweet
4: it was pretty awesome it. though yeah
0: i was also like oh you lost all your flesh on your fake hand
4: yeah Maybe he just was like, this is an affectation that I don't need anymore. Also, I, did anyone else's heart break for Chewie? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like, I rewatched the beginning of Empire the other day. I couldn't make it all the way through because I had work, but, but like, when, when the door is shut on, on Han, he, he's so upset. And then when Han is about to be, you know, frozen, like, he just, like, that is one thing that original trilogy did so well is that you, Feel that these characters care about one another, you know, in whatever way they do care about one another, and you know, I mean, obviously, like I, I, I was happy to see Chewie at least back in the Millennium Falcon at the end of it because I feel like that's that continuity that we need. Um, although Chewie was a little bit more of a of a wise ass in this than I, I'm used to, so.
0: Well, somebody pointed out that when they land back at the Resistance, Chewie doesn't even like go over to Leia.
4: He gives her a hug?
3: No, he gives her
0: a hug, yeah. He does? Yeah. yeah. I thought so, but someone on the internet was wrong.
4: He gives yeah. her a hug before Han does. I think the idea is like Chewie's no, like, no, no, no. I got I'm no talking problem. I'm
0: about after Han dies. Uh-huh. Oh, they yeah. They get off the ship with Rey and Leia and Rey hug, but right. Chewie doesn't do anything.
4: Can I just raise a weird question? So I read somebody, I think it was Cameron Hurley was uh, tweeting about how it, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test this, this movie, which I understand no, because, but, but it does.
3: That's what, I mean, uh, I didn't count, but I mean, so, uh, other people elsewhere had said, uh, several other people elsewhere said it did. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'd have to watch it again with that in mind, but I didn't, I wasn't counting.
2: Uh, uh, the, what's the alien lady's name?
3: Maaz.
4: Right. But they, they talk about and
2: Ray talk about her family or the lightsaber or something. But not about Luke. They're not talking about Luke. Okay.
4: But what I was going to bring up is the fact that like that hug that Leia and Rey have is wordless. So they don't have a conversation, but I thought that that was actually one of the my favorite moments because it's kind of like there's so much being said in this one moment between these two women who have been through a hell of a lot that just kind of like this understanding moment that you know, they don't need to say anything at that point. And I will say also that I found Carrie Fisher to be probably the weakest actor in this whole movie um you know again someone who's probably way over it and is like hey you're gonna pay me you know a shit ton of money to be in this movie i'll be in this movie but like i also feel like they gave her her and c3po for some reason like every expositional line that existed in this movie was given to one of those two people um and they just didn't sell it but um but i thought that moment was really cool you know i thought it was like here's the The woman who was in the trilogy that we know and love, and here's this new woman that we're coming to love, and they just have this moment of like, I kind of understand without understanding everything you've just been through kind of thing.
1: I think that one thing with Leia's dialogue is that they were trying to hide what Kylo Ren's real name is, so they kept having them refer to our son and stuff, and and that made it feel much more stilted, I think, than... Than it would have otherwise. Is it we
4: like? I I personally wondered why they called him Ben because uh, Ben I could see Luke naming his son Ben, but like why would they name their son Ben?
0: Didn't Luke name his son Ben in the expanded universe?
4: Yes. Who did Luke did right? But yeah. but yeah. It, yeah, it's... I had,
3: I have the same question and I was talking about this with Christy and, and, and we, we came to the conclusion that, well, Leia actually did know Obi-Wan pretty well because, you know, if you're, you know, as you may recall, uh, you know, the, the message that she has in R2-D2 in, in the original trilogy is, you know, you know, she's talking to Obi Wan. Uh, so she obviously knew him and had worked with him a- as part of the rebellion. No,
4: she said, You served my father in the Clone Wars. Oh,
3: right. That's right. That's right. So,
4: and, and the thing is, if she had known him, he's getting off planet. And so he's not looking after Luke and he's totally connecting these two kids, which would right. be weird. Yeah, you know? you're right.
3: You know, it's, it's, it seems weirder. And then, um, and although then, like, you'd also think, like, Han Solo had some connection to him because, like,
4: crazy old fool.
3: Well, yeah, and like... Who is the
4: more foolish, the fool or the fool (laughs) who follows him?
3: And, well, and, and, like, Obi-Wan knew to go find him, like, he knew of him, like, you know, to to find him at Mos Eisley, Um, but, yeah, it's it's a pretty slim connection. I mean, I I, I agree, though, like, you know, it would have made sense for Luke to name him that, but, like, yeah, I was a little bit more questioning about uh, Han and Leia doing it.
4: They should have named him Lando.
3: (laughs) Oh, my
2: goodness. What's the name that you can choose that would have emotional resonance for the audience? Right. Well,
4: that's the thing though, but it's for the audience rather than for the characters at that yes, point. Exactly.
0: Yeah, because I I thought I was gonna cry through this entire movie. I did not cry really at all. But the one moment that I got audibly choked up was when Han yelled Ben and I think it was a combination of knowing Han was about to die, finally figuring out what his kid's name was, and then just <laughs> like the overwhelming craziness of everything that had happened i literally
4: was like ah wait, wait <laughs> but why not call him anakin the name of your father which was his good name like bring that back like reown that name be like anakin and then the fact that he went bad again would be even worse you know like sh- another anakin who just we lost you know i don't know maybe that's too much
0: i think that'd
4: be too much
3: too much uh but yeah so getting back to to ray's parentage uh again you know um This is admittedly, uh, almost a completely ridiculous, uh, thing to even ponder, but, um, it occurred to me that, that Daisy Ridley's accent in the movie sounds exactly like Gwendolyn Christie to me. Like, not so much as Captain Phasma, it's like harder to say, she has so few lines and she's in the stormtrooper helmet, but, she sounds exactly like Brienne on Game of Thrones and I'm sure it's just because like they're from the same place in the real world but it's like I I couldn't help but like make the the connection mentally to be like huh well I wonder I mean you know I mean I can't imagine like what purpose that would have to anything that like if Captain Phasma was her was her mother it's like who, like why would that matter but um did anyone else notice that sh- that her voice sounds exactly like hers What I found
2: well uh, it never occurred to me that they have the same voice. What I found confusing was that they, uh that John Boyega used an American accent and Daisy Ridley didn't. That was, that was very confusing, especially considering that like all the Imperials are British anyway.
3: Yeah, I heard that uh, John Boyega, they tried uh, letting him use his British accent and, and it just didn't, it wasn't working with the lines with like with with all his lines that he had to say. Um, And it, it didn't it didn't seem right for a stormtrooper or something is what is what I heard.
4: He has more of a London accent, too. It's not quite as posh. I mean, he, I saw him on Graham Norton uh, recently and he was talking about, you know, he, he did like a fake. He he you know made his accent even more so saying his lines but i i don't know i mean that didn't bother me at all although i i did think he was amazing doing an american accent mm-hmm. i mean yeah, it, I there did was a really no good job.
3: I, I wouldn't have known that he was uh, british from that i mean I, I did know that but i mean i wouldn't have just from his performance
4: oh but i um, hated that 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 red-haired uh, general guy i hated him
3: yeah so that uh yeah i was actually going to comment on him like uh yeah to me like i mean he yeah, he seemed a little bit over the top and also like um he didn't quite make sense to me. Like, he was so young. Like, like why is that guy a general in this order? Like, I mean, it's like, okay, you already have Kylo Ren who's, like, kind of running the show and he's, like, acting like an impulsive teenager or something. Although, who the hell knows how old he's supposed to be? But, like, uh, but General Hux, yeah, it's like, I mean, how, like, that guy seemed really young to be, like, the general, like, the, the Grand Moff Tarkin, basically. Right, know, Exactly. Movie. It's like, Where did he come, how did he
4: work part? his way up through the ranks for that, you know? Yeah.
3: Disney wanted sex appeal, obviously. Yeah.
2: He
4: that was not one. sexy, though. Like, he, he <laughs> and, and I agree, he was like, you know, he was almost like a Hitler parody at times, you know? I mean, it was, it was, I feel like he should have been in The Man in the High Castle and not, you know, um...
2: Well, I guess you just don't understand everything about women yet.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's definitely true, but...
0: I, Feel like he might have said that his weapon was ready.
4: Oh, he oh he designed it. That's right. I think he did design that weapon. Um,
0: So that would, if you are the person who creates it,
4: wait, I don't know. But really, like if you're the engineer, you get to like run the company. That's not really true. (laughs) Um, He was not even a Moff Tarkin in the sense that he did not have that same level of gravitas. Like in a way, he the whole enemy team, aside from you know, hologram guy who someone pointed out to me is probably not going to look like that because, uh, you know, it's a Wizard of Oz kind of, you know, man behind the curtain kind of situation, which I don't know, but that would be kind of cool. But like the other, the rest of the leadership team then is a bunch of petulant, whiny young people, which seems really weird. Unless that's how you want to characterize your new first order, but I, I feel like it's not it doesn't help the audience feel like they're a threat, you know? Like, I feel like it works for Kylo Ren because he's meant to be emotionally unstable and he's so powerful that that's scary, you know? The The fact that he can halt a blaster bolt but, like, is so insecure, you're like, oh, God, where where is he going to go? You know, he smashes stuff up left and right. Like, he's not the Vader, like, I will kill you. He's more like the I'm throwing a tantrum, which I kind of like as a slight variation on that. But, um yeah, they were great. And I love the. I mean, I even love the moment where the stormtroopers were like, "Okay, let's walk the other way." <laughs> Although I'll, I, I'm guessing Dave hated that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hated the because it was played for laughs. The stormtroopers turning around and walking away. I I liked. I mean, I really like though the idea of this character where he's like the weird kid that nobody likes, and now he's just brought a gun to school, and now yeah. he suddenly has all this power that he's, he's not mature enough to handle. I mean, I really like that idea. I think that's actually something fresh in the Star Wars universe, and I hope they do more with that in the next couple movies.
3: Yeah. Um, Oh, so speaking of, uh, you know, just sort of various parentages and such, uh, this is sort of on a related subject. Uh, I I was thinking about um, Max von Saito's character. His name in the movie is Loris Anteca, but, I mean, he's – and so he's the guy right at the beginning that gives uh, Poe Dameron the the map um, uh, and then is subsequently – you know, killed by Kylo Ren. But, uh, so that guy, he's sort of given this weight, like we're supposed to, like almost like we're supposed to know who he is, although he's never appeared before. Um, and then the opening crawl, um, he's listed that he, he's mentioned as like a longtime ally or something of, of, of general Leia or, or general or whatever they're calling her. Yeah. Like, well Leia, um, and uh, so I was kind of wondering like so he must be like from Alderaan or something because like he he makes a reference like you know, like oh, she's royalty to me um when uh when when Poe is calling her a general, and um, so I was just like like does anybody i anybody have any idea like who that guy's supposed to be, or any theories nope
4: hmm. I think that's I think that's a good guess though because i mean i I got that he was old school and i I figured. You know, he was in the inn, but, like, I mean, if he was an Alderanian who was, like, survived the destruction of the planet, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, actually, that would be a nice little moment of, like, history that you could figure out for yourself without having to be spelled out for you. But I, does it matter? I mean, he's definitely a, a confidant of, of – but, like,
1: yeah, again, I. I, I, I... I heard people suggesting that they just wanted an actor with the kind of gravitas that Alec Guinness had for the originals. right. And you need like an Obi-Wan stand in and they didn't
4: have it. Obi-Wan. Right. So, um but it's interesting, like just to go back to a point that was made earlier, this whole map thing, you know, he has this one piece and then there's this other piece in R2. And and like, again, I think that's what kind of keeps kicking me back to like, there's this moment in time where this becomes relevant that this is, is coming out. And, and I, I, I I feel like there's at least one possibility that this was all part of a plan that Luke foresaw a future and had to put these pieces in motion that would come together now to help prevent, you know, a great evil in the future or something like that. Like, I I, I don't know if anyone else feels that at all, but like, then again, who knows? This is movie one, we don't have a lot of information to work with, but like, that would not be out of complete left field, you know? Like, if he has to take on the Obi-Wan role, then he does have to manipulate things in some ways. You know, he might have to hide somebody off here and lie to somebody there and whatever.
2: I, I want to talk about the very serious question that I have, which is when are Finn and Poe Dameron going to consummate their love?
3: For- <laughs> I actually have, I had the same thought. <laughs>
4: I love that they have this kind of sort of, you know, like interested, but like mostly platonic, like relationship based on, holy crap, we got through that situation. Like I, I, you know what I really loved? I love the moment where Finn sees Poe and he realizes he's alive and they both clap each other on the back. Like I love that moment because they both lived through their, you know, a situation that could have killed them both. And, you know, Finn saved Poe. And like, I feel like that was a real moment. And that's one of the reasons I like the new characters is because I think they sell it really well. I mean, they hired really good actors for those positions. Um,
0: Poe named Finn. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: But I, but I really think that like, I, you, you say mostly platonic. I say thinly veiled as platonic.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, well actually I would heard that Azra- Oscar Isaac actually played his one, like, you know, on-screen relationship as like romantic. And, Really? I mean, that's the only relationship he has on screen is with Ben. so... No, um... I believe it completely, and honestly, I'll be
2: surprised and disappointed if it isn't made canon that they are deeply in love with one another and consummate their relationship. I think that, like, you look at the structure of the movie, and I was talking earlier about how this basically is a remake of Episode 4. Poe Dameron is Princess Leia in this movie. (laughs) Right? He's the one who puts the secret plans in the R2 unit, sends the droid off into the desert to find someone to help, huh, gets yeah. captured, gets tortured, um, and then, you know, is, is intrinsic to the fight against the death weapon at the end.
0: And then gets saved.
2: And then gets saved and rescued by somebody in stormtrooper armor. Right. <laughs> so he's Leia. Hmm. Huh. And... Ray is Luke, right? She's the one in linen who has the greater destiny that aspires to something greater than herself. That leaves Finn as Han. And so when you put them all together, Han and Leia have the relationship. Finn and Poe have to have the relationship. (laughs) A Jedi is supposed to be celibate anyway. There has to be some romantic entanglement among the leads. They're going to get together. I'm 100% convinced. And they should. They should get together. Um, and I, I hope that they, I hope that Disney's brave enough to do it. I think they should.
4: I think they should too, now that you've convinced me. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, obviously the, you know, so I, I'm listening, I mentioned to Aftermath, the Chuck Wendig book, which there was a lot of controversy over the fact that there were gay characters introduced into the Star Wars universe, but they're secondary characters. They're like somebody's aunt and and her, her wife. And so. Like, I would love to see people's heads explode over two major characters in Star Wars getting together of
1: the same sex.
2: I'm a nice stormtrooper. No, you're not.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
1: I want to mention my favorite moment in the movie, which is where Rey pours the powder into the water and it grows into like a muffin. That's cool. i thought that was the most original i thought that was the most original thing in this movie i
3: thought i thought you were gonna say when the credits finally rolled that, john
2: i also thought that's what dave was gonna say was his part of the movie
1: no i like the muffin better
2: the muffin was pretty, the muffin was pretty sweet i'm gonna go with blue milk over muffin but i like the muffin
4: can i ask a weird question so uh did everyone see it in 3d or was it in
1: 2d
2: I saw it in 3D and I had my glasses on under my 3D glasses and like all 3D movies, I felt like the whole thing had muted, had a muted color yeah. and blur and it was blurry. Blurry, blurry and horrible. Yeah. But that's my own hatred towards 3D movies.
4: When she was diving through the Death, the, the uh, Star Destroyer, I thought that was really cool, but um, I did find it blurry. So I, I, I do want to see it again in 2D just so I can like take in the actual distinct images. But John, did you see it in 2D both times?
3: No, I saw it in 3D both times. Oh, 3D oh, the, both times. So the first time I saw it in 3D in RPX, which is like the pseudo IMAX sort of type screen, and then the second time I saw it in just regular 3D. I, I didn't have I didn't have any blurry problems either time, and I mean I'm, I'm actually wearing glasses these days too, so um, I haven't had any problems with it since uh, since wearing the glasses. But maybe I'm just bad at wearing 3D glasses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you are. We also
0: saw it in IMAX, so it was very, very big. We went to a proper IMAX theater.
3: Did you see it at the Lincoln Center theater?
0: No, we went up to to the one in New Rochelle, but it was a proper IMAX. I saw
1: I saw it in Lincoln Center, John.
3: Oh, well, you but you hated it, so who cares, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was very big.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> that muffin was
2: huge. <laughs> That's no muffin. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs>
4: Wait, but Dave, you like BB-8 at least, right? Yeah, BB-8 was,
1: I did like BB-8, yeah. All right, cool.
4: You know,
2: you, Dave, you mentioned at the beginning all of our roles in the Star Wars RPG tabletop gaming group. I was curious if you wanted to incorporate that in any way into our discussion about the movie.
1: Uh, well, I, I guess I didn't mention that I play an arrogant noble named Thalos <laughs> Dallion. He's from a wealthy family, but he, and he joined the rebellion as kind of like a, uh, you know, a just to piss to his off dad. his parents and, uh, and for the adventure of it and stuff. But I don't know what did you have something in mind, Matt?
2: Well, one thing that, you know, I said this in our last session that I was eager to get as much Star Wars RPG in as I could before the release of this movie because I felt that in some way the universe was going to change permanently and that much of what i'd been enjoying in the expanded universe aspects of the rpg uh would go away forever they'd be they'd be uh contradicted by new continuity um this happened to some extent after the release of the prequels back in the 90s when i first was really deep into the star wars rpg um and i had suspected that some of it would just become completely null and void afterwards um i'm not sure if it's there's i mean nothing's irredeemable in 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 the RPG books as they exist. Um, but just like the rest of quote unquote Star Wars legends, um, a lot of it is just, you know, defunct now. Um, but I do think that, you know, one positive aspect of the new, uh, normal for, for Star Wars, while it may cheapen the original trilogy to some extent, being able to use this rich and lush universe um, for a multitude of stories across all media and platforms. Um, being able to create new content at the highest echelon, you know, the, the, the feature film. Um, it allows stories like the kind that we tell in our uh, tabletop group. Uh, it allows stories like that to actually be shown. I'm super excited to see the Rogue Squadron movie, uh, simply because it's just got barely anything connected to the characters of the original, you know, sort of Star Wars Prime
1: world. I mean, I don't remember where I heard this, and this may not be true, but I, I have this idea that maybe for Rogue One, they were going to try to make it sort of Star Wars meets Black Hawk Down, where it was going to have a little bit more of a realistic military feel to it. And that's the kind of thing I would really like to see.
2: Yeah. it. I mean, I wonder if, will they even have a text crawl at the beginning of the movie? Will they have the same fanfare and the and the same logo for Star Wars? Um, I, sus- I, w-
3: I suspect that they will try to, to take some chances and do some different things with some of the sort of ancillary films because they won't, um, it won't be as much of a risk, uh, as opposed to, like, with the main flagship, uh, you know, episodes of the series. They, they kind of feel like they, they probably have a certain amount of pressure to, to make things, uh, more familiar.
4: Right. You know what I want is a, is a gritty adult Game of Thrones-esque uh, underworld, Bounty Hunter, Smuggler, whatever series on HBO hmm. for s- Star Wars.
1: They were actually going to do that. There was this thing, I think it was called Star Wars Underworld or something like that. And it got pretty far into pre-production, but it ended up getting canceled. But yeah, that sounded amazing to me. Yeah, it was something
2: that Lucas and Rick McCallum, the producer of the prequels, had been working on for years after the release of episode one. Um, it had been in development all through the creation of the prequels. And you know, it was something that had been talked about for a long, long time but yeah never went anywhere i think it was a situation where they were relying on lucas for creative content and he just wasn't producing it so they just never um
4: made it do you think disney would do something like that as a cuz you know they they're very careful about their brand but... i wonder
2: if they would i mean disney as a whole tends to steer away from gritty content and you know there there was this um there was this very gritty video game in development that LucasArts had been working on for
4: years. 1313? Is exactly. That, yeah.
2: Which got cancelled the day that Disney bought Star Wars. Um, it was within, I mean, literally within a week of that deal being announced publicly. LucasArts was com- completely shut down. Hundreds of people were fired and uh, and all the games that they were in development on, primarily what is it? 1616? What was
4: 1313, it 13,
2: 13, I think it 13, was, yeah. got scrubbed. Yeah, and I had seen gameplay from that game and it looked amazing. I mean, it was I mean, it was your sort of standard third-person shooter, chest-high walls as far as the eye can see, but it was people gunning each other down on Coruscant, deep in the bowels of the underworld of that planet.
4: Well, the thi- the thing about influences in Star Wars is like, you know, Han Solo is very influenced by the western genre. I mean, down to some of, you know, his outfits and his his uh the way he wears his blaster, stuff like that. And I think, like, like so all these influences exist there, and those are more... Like, Han Solo is, is the grittiest character in the original trilogy to the point where he shoots Greedo straight on dead. Um, and, you know, that Lucas later obviously had issues with that. But, like, those influences are there, and I think that they're there to explore in, you know, games or TV or whatever. I, I don't have high hopes of seeing it these days, but, like, I'd love to see that you know I'd love to see more like the front like I don't know you guys know I love westerns I've been on this show talking about westerns um you know the frontier like out on the rim and you know no law I love all that stuff so
2: you know I started this whole discussion by saying that I was traumatized by this movie and I think it's because in some ways watching Han Solo die was kind of like watching my own father die like it was the end of an era it was a traumatic experience but. At the end of the day, each generation has to sort of pick up the world and keep carrying it forward. And I think that that's sort of what we're starting off doing with this new saga. Um, And although I'm curious and cautious, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I look forward to more discussions about all of the Star Wars content that gets created in the next 500 million years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. So we're going to wrap things up there. So I've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Matt London, Rajan Khanna, and Jordan Hammersley-London. So guys, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Dave.
1: Thanks so much. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Matt London, Rajan Khanna, and Jordan Hammersley-London for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Maine Wanderlust and Dino Nut. Main Wanderlust writes, Better than Serial. Season 2 of Serial is out, and I'm still going through the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy back catalog. Enough said. So big thanks again to Main Wanderlust for that great review. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution you can do that via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I'd like to give a special thank you to Paresh Desai, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy
3: is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show